Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you so much for that lovely reading. My friends, it's a delight to be with you in worship this morning. Happy Halloween to you all. I see some of you dressed like monsters today. Oh wait, that's how you look, I'm sorry. I'm kidding, but this is one of my favorite days of the year, so I've got to kid. <sighs> Tech had a hard one yesterday. Georgia had a great one. And the Braves, pretty good. Two out of three ain't bad, huh? And I know that we're all praying that they win tonight at home, but please put those prayers away and open your heart and mind to Scripture for just a little bit longer. Join your heart with mine in prayer. Before we pray, I ask you to exhale your breath so that when you breathe in, you feel the breath of God. Creator, Lord, sustainer, giver of life, we're so thankful for this gift of life that we have that we get to move and have being and be creative and have good work to do to have relationships. We are so very thankful. Help us now in this hour to understand that you have a heart for all of creation's renewal and that we are part of that. Help us to be transformed and changed by encountering these words from the book of Revelation. Help us to be renewed on this Halloween. Send your spirit freshly to anyone who can hear my voice, for you and I know that without you, I can do nothing. We ask that your spirit fall gently upon us, that these words may take root in our hearts and help us to flourish as we go into areas of the world and work to make those areas flourish as well. It's in the matchless name of your Son, Christ, our Savior, that we pray and God's people say together, Amen. In western Illinois, there is a, used to be a, a Christian rock festival put on by the Jesus People USA. They go by Japuza. I don't know if you know that group, but they were really big in the 70s. They kind of had a hippie subculture mixed with a sort of charismatic Christianity about them. And there they would put on a festival called Cornerstone. Some summers I got to go. There were different bands from all different genres of music that would play on 14 or 15 different stages and people were camped out 
But whenever I went, I went wherever the nerds went. Because I don't know if you know this or not, I'm kind of a nerd. There's a tent there called the Imaginarium. And they would bring in professors and speakers to talk about interesting things like how the film noir genre came out of German Expressionism and how we would watch these old German Expressionistic films and the early um, Paramount Studio monster movies that were made. You know, the, the, the Frankenstein with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi Dracula. I told you I was a nerd, right? That's where I'd spend my time. One time they brought in a fellow who wrote a book his name was Lint Hatcher, and as he was talking, he said that he was born with a spooky gene. He was born with a spooky gene. All my doctors in the sanctuary today, I'm not sure if you studied the spooky gene in any biology text, but I, I knew what he meant, and when he said it, I knew that he was one of my kind. Kind of like how I felt whenever I met Dr. Wortman and asked him to come on staff with us. I knew that he was one of my kind, which is... Another reason why I'm sad to lose him, but proud of you. What is a spooky gene? Well, he was born in such a way or raised in such a way or whatever. He was drawn to the spooky things of life. Me too. My birthday was on October the 15th. We are still celebrating it, by the way. So you have time. And because it was in October, it was always near Halloween, and because it was always near Halloween, we often had Halloween-themed birthday parties. Oh, I loved it. I loved dressing up like Count Dracula. I love spooky movies. I love Halloween. Every year that we've been married, except during COVID, my wife and I have put on uh, an incredible, I think they're incredible, Halloween party in our home, and the intent was to do everything, all the parts of Halloween, from the kitschy to the religious so we had spooky movies in one room, we had games, and we had party, uh, we had party, we had like a Thanksgiving feast, because it's an autumnal feast, we'd have that going on, we would dress up, we'd have best costume awards, and oh yes, at one point in the evening, we would raise a glass of whatever, and we would toast to those that have died. Because religiously speaking, Halloween is sort of a day of the dead for the church, a time to remember those who've gone before us and lived a life of faith well, those that we could emulate. That's actually the religious aspect of this next several days. And so we'd quietly sit and remember. Halloween is now a large season, and it's very commercialized, but it is a time when we do dwell on death, mortality, even decay. But when we do, we usually think about how those things relate to human persons. We think about lost loved ones, which is why next Sunday we'll be celebrating All Saints Day and we'll remember the names of those who've died the year before and we'll name them because we carry them in our hearts and we'll toll the bell for them because they matter to us and we hope they rest with the Messiah and can't wait to see them on the day of resurrection, but we lose them now and it hurts. That too is part of our faith journey together. But we as a congregation for the past month have been thinking about the concept of creation. Our series has been called Twins, Creation and Redemption. And I think that we can all agree at one point or another 
that creation itself, in a lot of ways, is suffering from decay and even death. I think it's important for us to think on that as a community of faith in Christ, but I also think it's equally as important to try to make sense of it with the Christian imagination and how it dwells on hope for the future. First, what do we know about creation from the great texts of Scripture? Well, in that first creation poem in the book of Genesis we looked at, we know that each thing God makes, God declares good. It receives the stamp of approval of the divine. It is good. And then when brought together as a collection, as a composite of all creatures, God says, very good. I argue that this means that biodiversity is good, which is not lost in some of the greatest minds of the Christian tradition. No less than St. Thomas Aquinas writes in the Summa Theologica, that means summary of theology, which it's no summary, I should tell you, it takes up a large space on my shelf. He talks about the fact that there isn't just one creature in the world, there are many creatures, and they're not just one kind of creature, there are many kinds of creatures. And basically, he makes the argument that it takes all the creatures, all the created ones, to say something about the divine. So you and your own being are a testimony of God, and so is each flower and each insect and each crawling animal. The point here is, that's a sanctifying of biodiversity, friends. The point is, it should mourn us when we lose life on earth. If a, if a species goes extinct, there's a little bit less said about God in creation. It should mourn us theologically, not simply ecologically. What else do we know of creation? Well, we know that in Christ, God takes on createdness. God takes on the flesh and the, the guts and the blood and the breath of humans. God takes creation into God's own self. It was worth it to God to do so. We also find out that humans are not simply stewards or managers of creation. Rather, we are priests of creation. This is our sacred calling. That we are to lift up the world, all the world around us, and elevate it to God as God is its purposeful end, even if Parts of what we lift up are things that we consume. We're to give them a life that is lifted up toward God. So we are charged with caring for and making this creation flourish. But we also know and have reflected that creation groans. It groans with labor pains. It groans for redemption. It anticipates and hopes once more for a life that flourishes, for life abundant to be expressive of God's glory and its being, to, to teem with grace the desire of the world built into all things. Yet we know that we make a mess of what is called the non-human world, whether it is anthropogenic climate change, which I do believe in, to the many plastics that are in the ocean that will, by the way, basically never go away. Isn't that interesting? 
or biodiversity loss or anything of the sort. We know that humans have overreached in a sort of Promethean way. You remember the myth of Prometheus, right, from high school? Prometheus was this titan who reached up to the realm of the gods and found fire and brought it down to humans. It's a kind of an ancient metaphor for technology that can actually be a bit too big for our britches. Tis the season, so I'll bring it up. You ever read that book by Mary Shelley called yeah, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Jim could probably correct me on the German, how you actually say that. Do you know that's not the total title of it, right? I'll say it like an American. Frankenstein, colon, or the modern Prometheus. Dr. Frankenstein overreached, trying to create life. Because that's one thing about humans, is we don't create life. We don't create it. We can help it. But life is always out of our grasp. We maybe get life, but we don't create it. Hmm. Well, I feel as though we live a life in a culture that is Promethean in every way, trying to gain hold of the world, to control it, to use it to our whim and fancy. E.F. Schumacher wrote a book called Small is Beautiful. I told the 9 o'clock service they should have read it yesterday, not tomorrow. You need to read this book by E.F. Schumacher, Small is Beautiful. But he calls this whole impulse the forward stampede of modernity. What is that? Well, it's the idea that we're going to be able to do things in the world with our technology or for our uh, striving for progress, and even if it's going to cause some unhappy, unwelcome circumstances, we're going to do it anyway. Just, we believe, we got enough guts to believe that in the future, we're going to come up with better technologies that will fix all the mess we've made on the path there. I don't know if that sounds like our culture to you, but it does to me. I'm reminded of the, that phrase that maturity is the ability to prolong gratification. And if that's a definition of maturity, we live in a very immature world. <laughs> I know I've talked about big systemic things, things that maybe we can't fix as individuals, but there are smaller ways that we've exhibited discord and despotism over the non-human world. I'll confess one of my sins. When I was a boy, I would spend a week here or there with my cousins in the summer. They had these fancy things mom and dad wouldn't let me have, BB guns. I was attracted to BB guns. I was drawn to guns. I don't know why. Maybe I watched too much Rambo or too many other action flicks. My, my dad wasn't hunter, my family, they weren't gun people. I don't know why, but that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, a BB gun. And we thought we were really cool. We'd run around outside and put pop cans up. That's what we called it back home. We called it pop, not soda, not Coke, pop. Everyone say pop. Everyone say pop. Okay, it's got to wake you back up here. We put these pop cans up. It's satisfying to say. And we would... Hold, well, belt them with little BBs, make holes, and find a bottle on the railroad tracks and try to shoot it. 
I was walking around the yard looking for something to shoot. Even as I say that, it, it, to me, it sounds terrible. I was looking for something to shoot. A bird, a robin, gently landed on the top of a chain link fence and I was pumping that BB gun. I took aim and I shot it. Why? Because I wanted to shoot something. It's just true. I went over to it, it had fallen to the ground, but it was just a BB gun. It didn't kill the bird, but the bird was injured. And so I pumped the gun more and I kept shooting it until it died. And immediately, I knew what I had done was wrong. Senselessly taken this life, thinking of myself as having the right to do so. Later on, when I would study more of this for grad school, I read Aldo Leopold's great book on environmentalism. He's one of the greatest environmentalists of the 20th century. And he talked about how he was helping start some of the national parks out west, and they would go out and shoot wolves. He remembers shooting a wolf and then going over and seeing the light of its eyes just go out. And he knew in that moment what he did was defy the sacred because it was unnecessary and it had no real good end to it. Now, I'm not saying you can't eat animals. I'm not saying that you can't hunt. But I am talking about our despotic attitude sometimes where we just have free reign of the place. Rest assured, God does not think so. Now, last time we were together, we spoke of the shape of our Christian faith. We talked about it being uh, this $10 word, proleptic, meaning that the Christian faith is a faith that listens to what God says will come to pass in the future, right? And then it's the attempt to take that future and live it in our present. That is to say, we do believe that God is going to sort out all the evil in the world and bring justice. But it's not our job as Christians to wait to the end for God to sort it out. We're supposed to be living justly and bringing justice in right now. Right? We believe that God is going to restore a broken world. But it doesn't mean we wait until Jesus comes back and say, well, Jesus will sort it out. We'll do what we want in the moment. No, it means that we actually start living that future in our present moment. And, and the real deal of it is, as we actually pray about it every Sunday, as we remember Christ and his great prayer, he taught his disciples. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking for the will of God to be done now, not, la not later, right now. And who are Christians if not the people who try to make the will of God live right now? Hmm. So given the fact that this Christian hope is shaped by this proleptic vision, let's think more about the text that we just read from St. John the Revelator. There we have this wonderful picture of heaven and earth overlapping together. It's the heaven and earth project, N.T. Wright calls it, uh, coming together in a cosmic kiss. Hmm. The realm of God fully overlaps the realm of the rest of creation. And there, all things wrong are put back 
right. Says all the weeping and all the pain of death and decay will be no more. And we hear the words of Christ. Behold, I make all things new. Now, I know that it talks about a new heaven and new earth, but I don't want us to think that what it's saying in the language here is that God says, you know, I made that earth, I called it good, I called it very good, but they made such a mess of it, I'm weak. I'm, I'm, I'm a weak God who can't fix it. So I've got to throw it away and start over. Rather, there is a making new that brings something completely better. God is in the process of making all things new and renewing what is broken. Creation and redemption are twin theological themes. See, both of them are about God making space for what is not God to flourish. Isn't that what the act of creation was? God makes space for what is not God, that is creation, to live, to have being, and flourish. And what is redemption if not basically that same movement. God allowing what is not God, the space to flourish again. They are twin theological themes. But it's important for us to recall that creation is not simply a dramatic stage for human morality. I wish Christians got this. So much of Christian preaching Christian teaching and Christian traditions are built on the notion that the world that you live in is nothing but a morality play for you to prove your goodness that makes all the rest of life superfluous. This is not a play for your morality that once you prove yourself right, your goodness right, you've got enough marks on the goody page rather than on the baddie page that you can then take your applause, everyone's impressed with your moral goodness, and then you can go backstage and kick it with God in secret. That's not what creation is. No. If creation were a stage, it's one that God wants to enter onto with you. Actually, I would say that God wants to play with you. God wants to play with you. God delights in the stage and the other actors too and everything around. God wants to delight in all of created life. The future vision of creation is very much the same, friends. It is God being with us. It is an overlapping of heaven and earth. It's Christ making all things new. The promise for all creation, humans and non-humans alike, is that, that, is, is that though it is now broken, it will be made over again. Good is new. I was a boy. I had a toy given to me, my grandfather, and I was on his uh, front porch. I had one of those plastic grocery sacks like you see over here, and I was uh, jumping off his porch. Well, I thought that porch was so high, it was probably only just a couple steps when I was little. And I jumped off with that ba plastic bag thinking that I could parachute myself. And uh, I had the toy in one hand, the plastic bag, and I ran. Because if I, if I ran, I'd even get more lift somehow. So I jumped. Uh, I went straight down like a rock. 
landed on my feet, fell to my knees, scraped my knee, toy went rolling. I started crying. And he came out to the front porch and he said, what's wrong, bud? And he saw my knee was a little cut, but then he, he, he asked me if I was okay and I was more upset that I broke this toy. And he was a bit of a tinkerer, like good grandfathers tend to be. He sat there on the front porch and he said, let's see if I can fix this up for you. And he just quietly and patiently fixed this little toy. And he looked at me with a smile and said, see, good is new. This passage reminds me that God is telling us all who live in a world that's got death and decay and brokenness, that God's going to say, good is new but even better. Because what that story misses is the fact that when this moment comes to pass, when our hopes are realized in full by Christ, it's not just going back to the way it was at the first, but life, creation, and everything in it be filled with the glory of God. A splendor and majesty that you nor I could scarcely imagine. You have a hymn in your hymn book, number 422. The title is a bit clunky. Let us talents and tongues employ. Reverend Bell tends to program this in the Easter season each year. I think it's the one where you always say, hey, mon, because it's got kind of a Jamaican and island vibe, right? Um, in there, there's a line that I love, and it's the title of this sermon earth can breathe again. The message of redemption is so tied to creation and it reminds us that creation can breathe again. I don't know what's going on in your world, but if you're here or if you're watching, I know that you're in a various state of transition in your life because we all are. I imagine you're carrying a lot. I want you to know that Jesus makes all things new. That earth can breathe again. That creation will breathe again. And it also means because you're creation that you will breathe again too. I charge you as you go forward on this spooky day. Don't just think about the ghoulies and the beasties. Don't just think about candy or the braves. Think about ways that you can partner with God right now in helping creation flourish, to help it breathe. Start with people, but don't forget about the wider world around. Because we serve a Savior who is telling us right now, I'm going to make everything new. Happy Halloween.